welcome to Insurance Tomorrow, a podcast brought to you by Alliance Insurance with me, Steph McGovern. Now, this is a series where we look at what's happening in the world and how it might impact the insurance industry. There are plenty of episodes to listen to, covering everything from how claims are changing to the impact of supply chains, open finance and under insurance. You can get them all online if you want to listen back. Now, in this episode, we're going to talk about e-mobility. From 2030, it won't be possible to buy new conventional petrol or diesel cars and vans in the UK. Fleet managers who make the country's country's biggest vehicle buying and usage decisions have an important role to play. So we want to talk about that and about the implications for the insurance market. With me to do that, we have Nick Kelsall, Head of Motor Claims at Allianz, and Jill Noel from the LV General Insurance and Head of Electric Vehicle Communications at Electrics. Welcome to both of you. So it's, it's really interesting at the minute, isn't it, with everything going on with fuel prices and just this whole emphasis on being more sustainable, that there is a real focus on how we travel. So can you give us an overview, first of all, Jill, of where we're at with electric vehicles and the sales of them and the kind of adoption of them? So I've been driving electric cars for about 10 years now. So back in 2012, you know, there were maybe one, two, three models of electric car to choose from. Fast forward to today, 2022, and we have over 150 makes and models of pure electric car to choose from. So choice is increasing all the time. And in the UK, there will be a new electric car model introduced to the market every 10 days this year, which, which, you know, which is quite incredible. However, there's still four times as many petrol and diesel cars to choose from. So, so it's still relatively early days, but in terms of numbers of electric cars on our roads today, so we've got over 400,000 pure electric cars sales of new electric cars have actually overtaken sales of diesel. So we can see that electric cars, they're on a one-way trajectory upwards. Um, And, you know, it's only seven and a half years till 2030. And as you say, at that point, we won't be able to buy a new petrol or diesel. Yeah, it's really interesting that point you make, because it really isn't far off, is it? But yeah, from what you're saying, even though it's growing, it needs to go at a faster rate. Um, Nick, can I just ask you, because one of the big barriers a lot of people talk about is the cost of electric vehicles in terms of actually buying them. So we know that in terms of fueling them, it, it can be cheaper, but are the costs still high? Firstly, just touching on seven and a half years, that's two lease cycles, if you think about it in that sense, that a lease cycle typically is four years for in a, in a commercial fleet vehicle. So your next purchase might be a petrol or diesel car, but the one after that is going to be electric. In terms of price, they are coming down and effectively the benefits are significant. So the initial outlay is typically more expensive than a conventional combustion vehicle. Um, But the benefits there um, you get on a company vehicle, you get a benefit in kind uh, tax benefit. Um, Typically on a petrol or diesel car, your benefit in kind tax ranges between 25 to 35%, which is uh, coming off your income tax wares. For a pure electric vehicle, um, this year I believe it's 0%, uh, then 1% next year and and, and 2%. And there's significant benefits as well for fleet operators um, in that the cost per mile is significantly less. So, So as you use the vehicle more, the overall running cost of the vehicle in its entirety will outbalance that initial outlay i'm sure 
often though businesses are thinking about that initial outlay and less about the longer term though aren't they when they're making decisions and given we've had Jill as well changes to some of the grants because I myself have got an electric car as well and you know there was a grant to get the charging point in the house there was you know so many different incentives and those incentives are kind of slipping away a bit aren't they Jill? Yes, they are, Steph. And on the one hand, by the very nature of a grant, you know, we always knew that these would drop off or be refocused. So, for example, you know, you can still access the the home charge grant scheme. However, that is only if you, you know, you rent. But yeah, and and, and as you say, the plug-in car grant has has gone now. But I don't think that can come as any surprise. And what government is doing now is they're ploughing an awful lot of investment and support into charging infrastructure. They've committed to increasing the number of public charges tenfold by 2030, which means that whilst we have about 32,000 public charges today, we're looking at over 300,000 come 2030, which is fantastic. But I think one of the things for me is that at the moment, between 80 and 90 percent of electric car drivers actually do the vast majority of charging at home Mm. overnight and that really is the cheapest and most convenient way to charge your car if you're you know if you can um, charge off street you know I'm lucky I charge my electric car at home overnight and to to fill it up you know effectively to drive 500 electric miles it costs me about six pounds It's crazily cheaper than having to fill it with petrol or diesel. And, you know, we've seen headlines recently as well to suggest that the average cost of of putting fuel in a family car is £100. For me, the cost of £100 worth of electricity would take me 4,000 miles in my electric car, which is almost half my annual mileage. We know from work we've done at LV that running costs for electric cars are are almost 50% lower for electric cars. Yeah, it's staggering, isn't it? When I first got my electric car, my gym was letting you charge for free so I mean I didn't pay for any fuel for it for the first six months I had it but obviously then we were all fighting for spaces at the gym to charge our electric cars and that's the thing it is about the infrastructure as well as it is about the cost so um, I just want to come back to Nick what you were talking about there about fleet managers and the choices they've got to make so what do you think they need to be thinking about? I think we talked about the the positive implications of, of the electric vehicles and um, yeah they are coming the infrastructure is improving and if you think about running a potential fleet of executive cars which people tend to have parked on their driveway um, overnight so infrastructure for your employees um, but also potentially fleet returning to a central depot um, and the infrastructure that might be required there there's obviously positives as well around sort of ESG and sustainability you know on a recent fleet survey 70% were looking to move to electric vehicles because they think it's the right thing to do for the environment and their ESG obligations right so it'll also have an implication in terms of their future growth strategy and their customer base and, and where they want to be profitable in, in other areas. I think on the other side of things Steph it isn't all as straightforward as moving straight to an electric vehicle there's some challenges that it presents in terms of the range is, is an obvious one. You know, if you're typically driving more than 200 miles a day or you're a delivery driver or you're a long range delivery service, then it does present some potential challenges as well. I mean, Joe, what are your thoughts on this? So I think for cars, so electric cars, range very often won't be an issue. Um, you know, over a third of electric cars today will go quite happily for 250 miles on a single charge. Um, over half of all electric cars on the market 
will take you for, for over 200 miles on a single charge. I think when it comes to electric vans, that is absolutely a little bit more challenging. There's a very large organisation actually that has run a series of try before you buy trials to introduce fleet operators to the idea of kind of moving to an electric fleet of vans in particular and just to get the drivers used to having to stop, having to take maybe, you know, a slightly longer break than normal. What I found really interesting was speaking to what I'd say is somebody who's um, one of the UK's best known and best love electric van experts. His research indicates that in terms of mental health and well-being for van drivers, then the people who are driving electric vans feel that their mental health and well-being has improved significantly. And is that from the fact that they are having to have breaks then, longer breaks, and and, and also, you know, being better for the environment? Is it th- those types of things? What is it? I think it's a lot to do with actually the drive experience, because as you know, it's so much quieter, much more relaxing when you drive an electric car, when you drive an electric van. I was lucky enough, somebody uh, lent me um, a brand new shiny electric van for a couple of weeks a while ago. And driving around, just like driving an electric car, it's just quiet. It's a pleasant drive experience. And I agree with that because I really love driving mine, but I do get a genuine sense of stress when the mileage is going down quickly and you're thinking you do have to plan where you're going to you know recharge and sometimes if you're doing a good run on the motorway that is going down a lot faster than if you were just driving around the town centre. Yeah and I can relate to that I'm driving from the northwest down to Bournemouth on Monday and that's a longer journey than I would normally do and I've already planned ahead you know I've looked on the app and I've found you know a couple of places to charge and I've got another backup so I do relate to that but then you know for me and many other drivers those much longer journeys are quite rare really yeah it's not a bad thing to actually start thinking about this now right so if you're thinking about optimized route to ensure that you get the most out of your vehicle charging you know I think this is a good point to start thinking about the long-term term of electric vehicles where you take your rest breaks where you need to charge what the most effective and efficient route is for my vehicle these are all the things we should be thinking about now from a, an ESG point of view with petrol and diesel cars and um, but also in terms of getting the most out of your money as petrol prices increase to mean that you your business is successful um, I think what tends to happen and we saw this with COVID it takes something big to actually do a change and electric vehicles when they do come in as, a, as, as compulsory I think will be big but you know really we should be thinking about these things today. Yeah, that's a really good point, actually. Perhaps this will make us more efficient and therefore more productive, Jill, if we're having to think everything much more strategically rather than just getting your car and go. Yeah, I think so. So, And I think it's worth giving a shout out to the charge point operators as well, because they get a lot of not necessarily positive coverage. But actually, you know, there are a number of them that are rolling out literally hundreds of charging hubs dedicated to electric vehicle charging up and down the country the speed of that rollout is quite phenomenal so where longer journeys are involved there are challenges but all that is going to ease and we're still at a relatively early stage of this electric car journey aren't we 
we said at the start of this, it's not long until you won't be able to get to buy new conventional petrol and diesels anymore. So do you think it will catch up in terms of the infrastructure? I think it will. I mean, I suppose the elephant in the room at the moment, Steph, is that there can be quite long lead times for electric cars. So we need that bottleneck to release in order for the demand to be met, because there's no doubt about it that, you know, people are crying out to make the switch to electric cars. So when those lead times reduce, when supply increases, I think the charging infrastructure will keep up and you know and there's lots of other options as well you know there's things like community charging for people who can't charge at home which I think is a really really interesting concept as well the idea that I can essentially kind of rent out my driveway rent out my home charger to one of my neighbours who might be put off making the switch because they don't have a driveway just come and use mine every Tuesday night. Mm, that's interesting gosh yeah there's lots to think about nick can i ask you about what this means from an insurance point of view like how the products have changed you know alliance has obviously launched its electric vehicle product i think where we need to be more mindful of now is risk mitigation electric vehicles cost more money which therefore means that they'll cost more money for insurers and then ultimately businesses so a lot of our investment in new products is about really educating customers about how to better protect themselves against risk of of accidents so you know we're supporting with discount onboard cameras and and supporting of telematics around this as well to manage driving behaviors and also looking at you know some comprehensive breakdown packages to support in that space as well so i think we're already should be doing this but as, as always it takes something to really make that step change in order to deliver change interestingly i think as well there's going to be some potential cross line of business risks that we need to just keep an eye on so you know as jill was saying um, she can lend her charge point out to her neighbor what if that charge point is defective and therefore damages a sixty thousand pounds tesla um, where does the liability sit with that, right? So, um, and what if you don't have a driveway and you're charging a vehicle on a street and somebody trips over the wire? So all of these things we need to work out, but I think it's going to be a really interesting few years um, and one that insurers, brokers and fleet managers should stay really sort of engaged with because it's really kicking up pace. Jill, what are your thoughts then in terms of what brokers need to know to help fleet managers go electric? So I think from, from more from a kind of a consumer perspective, really, and I think this applies as well to fleet managers, it can be really confusing when you first start to think about, you know, electric cars and what all that means. You have to go to lots of different places for lots of different things. So whether that's for the car itself, for the insurance, for the charging that you need, whether that's home or public charging. So one of the things that we're doing through LV Electrics is just trying to make it simple to help people make the switch. So, you know, providing all the information you might need, plus, you know, that one place to come for all those products and services, which is interesting for me, I think, because as a traditional kind of insurance business, then we're starting to diversify and really kind of respond to what is clearly a very, very strong consumer trend in terms of electric car uptake. Yeah, it's quite exciting, really, isn't it? It is very exciting. And I think it's interesting what Jill said there about insurers now really taking a lead on advising customers from a one stop point of view on the product they've bought. You know, the manufacturers have an obligation, I feel, to inform their customers on the product. Then you get the sort of sales agent who's then got a second bite of the cherry. And I think typically insurers don't really then support the customer. They sell them a product that underwrites that product. Whereas, you know, a new idea around actually sitting to customers with an insurer saying, this is 
what you bought. This is its capabilities. These are some of the things that are really positive about your product in terms of the electric. But here are some of the risks in advance of a claim. And having that one-stop shop around that, I think, is a key differentiator when it comes to adding value to our customer proposition. Did you want to add anything to that, Jill? I see you're nodding along there. However we approach this and whatever support we can offer to our customers, it just needs to be in plain English as well. And we need to be open, honest and transparent. So, you know, if we're talking about how far an electric car can go, you know, we know we have the WLTP range. So that's the formal tested range. But then helping people to understand actually the real world range is probably a little bit less than that. And if you are heavy footed, then it will drop again a little bit. And if it's you're charging your car in the depths of winter when it's cold, the range will drop a little bit more. So to give you an example, I drive a Kia e-Nero. The WLTP range is 282 miles. My real world driving range is 275 which isn't far off. Yeah. Um, yeah. In winter, it drops to about 240 miles. That's interesting, isn't it? So um, just to wrap things up then, what, Nick, is the overall thing you want people to take away from this? I think the message is loud and clear. This is happening. It's coming. Get comfortable with that. It's two lease cycles away. And realistically, the government will force your hand, shall I say, to purchase these new vehicles uh, on an electric basis. I think it's positive in terms of ESG, sustainability, and your overall operational running cost of your fleet. It doesn't come without challenges. Um, and those challenges we should start thinking about now in terms of your fleet infrastructure around charging these vehicles, whether you do that privately, whether you do that on public land and and what the costs implications are for both of those options. But as I said earlier, I think the key really is to start thinking about this now. These are things that you should be doing with your existing fleet and start to try and maximise the performance or the return on investment from, from your fleet. Um, sooner rather than later and um, because it will be your competitive advantage um, as we see petrol prices go up and and, and, and and the cost of living and inflation generally hit us harder. Yeah, Jill? I think for anybody who's uh, thinking about getting a new car, let's try and make sure that it doesn't have a tailpipe and it really helps I think to talk to other electric car owners. You know, there's loads of great forums and, and social media groups out there that you know, full of people that you can talk to who are willing to share their experience. You know, head over to LV Electrics for, for all the information you need on the basics, on costs, on charging. And if you can get a test drive in an electric car, if you haven't had one already, then, you know, I've been involved in hundreds of electric car test drive. And without exception, everybody gets out of the car after their first go in an electric car with a big smile on their face. So give it a go. Well, I think that's a good point to end it on there. Thank you very much, guys. Thanks to Jill Noel from LV General Insurance and Electrics and Nick Kelsall from Alliance. Now, please do subscribe to the series through your podcast app and then it'll mean you'll never miss an episode. Also, we'd love it if you left a review for us as well. Thank you so much for listening. That's it from me, Steph McGovern and Alliance Insurance. Goodbye. Goodbye.